What's up, guys? How y'all doing? Man. Oh, and I was so good worshiping, man. You guys were singing. It was awesome, man. Thank you so, guys, so much for hanging out with us at One Church. My name's Chris. This is Dave. Y'all say hello to Dave. Hey, guys. And today we're finishing up part two of our series called Icebreakers. And you know what an icebreaker is. We talked about this last week. An icebreaker is when you ask a question and you, and you ask a question to somebody you really don't know that well and you get to know them, all right? And today we're going to be looking at one verse that if we can embrace the tension in this verse as a church, and there is a lot of tension in, in, in Colossians chapter 4, that if we could actually understand this as a church, I really do believe that we would be better at breaking the ice and be able to build relationships with people who need Jesus Christ. And here's the thing of us in here. We believe that God loves people. He loves everyone. And if, you, if this is your first time here today, I'm so glad you're here today because you're kind of off the hook today. Um, you can just kind of come and kind of evaluate kind of what we do because we're, this verse is primarily talking to, to Christ followers. And the whole premise of this is to create conversations so that you can actually engage people uh, about Jesus. So we're going to have a great time. Let's go ahead and start in Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to get into this starting in verse 3. Now, I'll give you some context. Paul is the guy who wrote this letter to a little small church in a small town past its prime called Colossae. That's the reason why it's called Colossians. So he's writing this, and Paul is writing it in prison. He has been imprisoned because of being a Christ follower. And this is what happens. He says, and, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Paul is asking for them to pray for him because he is wanting to speak the message of hope and salvation and freedom that can only be found in Jesus Christ. So look at this. For which I am in what? Change. So he's in prison. Pray that I proclaim it what? Clearly as I should. This is one of our biggest goals here at OneChurch.tv. We want, when people come in the door, we want them, we want to be able to proclaim the message of Jesus clearly. Not the message of a label or denomination or even a church. We want to proclaim and lift Jesus up. It's all about Jesus Christ. So in verse 5, Paul brings it back to the Christians. Um, what he says is, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, first time reading this, I was very confused because, you know, he's telling us to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders. But the word outsider, I'm sorry, it just sounds offensive. You know, because he's saying be wise, but then he offends who we're supposed to be be wise towards. So, but then the more I thought about it, you know, a lot of us, sometimes we feel like an outsider. You know, at one point in time, I actually prided myself on being an outsider. And some of you here in this room today didn't want to come today. Some of you were practically drugged here by a friend, kicking and screaming, because you didn't want to feel like an outsider. And it's because in, in your head you have this idea that, you know, we, all, we have it all together and that we're religious and we're good. But the truth is, is none of us are really that good. In fact, ladies, I would, I would make sure you pull your purse closer, keep it zipped up, don't leave it too far, you know, um, because none of us in this room are really all that good. But I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that you came today. We good? Well, I think it's me. I'm very glad that you came today because 
we know that there are many people who are considered outsiders in this community. That was <laughs> and, awkward. And we know that there are many of you in this room today who are considered uh, outsiders. But what Paul is saying here is he's not writing to you. He's writing to the people who call themselves Christians. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Well, how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we make the most of every opportunity? Well, the next verse answers that. and I'm just going to read it, but we're going to break it down piece by piece. And this is exactly where we're going to be hanging out the rest of the day. He said, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, this verse, if you wouldn't mind keeping that up, it really can be broken up into three different parts, all right? And we're going to kind of break up these, and our big idea is going to be broken up into three different parts today. Let your conversation always be full of grace, season with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, if I were to ask you which one is the most important word in that verse, you know, of course, there's no right or wrong answer. But some of you, you would say uh, grace, some would say salt, some would say uh, answer everyone. I really want to talk about the conversation side. Let's talk about conversation. Why did Paul use the word conversation? I mean, if you think about it, he could have used a lot of other different words. He could have said, let your talking. Or he could say, what we say. But he didn't do that. Why did he use the word conversation? Well, what is a conversation? A conversation is different than talking. That's huge. Because a conversation is really a journey of talking. Think of it this way. Um, Conversations take a long time. Uh, Conversations uh, always have beginnings, but many times they don't have endings. A conversation um, happens with someone, not at someone. Conversations are like journeys. There's twists and there's turns. There's ups and there's downs. There's agreements. And yes, there's sometimes disagreements. There's a lot of listening and there's some talking. Some of you, if I were to ask your spouse, are you a good listener or are you a good talker? Right? Some of you, you, there would be a whole lot of nudges in this. Because a lot of us who are good at talking, many a times are not good at listening. If you're going to have a conversation, you're going to have to learn to listen. So many times, and you know, again, I'm kind of this way as well. Um, when somebody's talking, many times we're really not listening to what they're saying, are we? We're just, we're taking a, we're taking a breath and we're formulating how we can win a conversation. Right? I mean, again, for those who are married, let's just be real in here, right? When she starts talking, you start, okay, I can say this, and she's brought up that. Come on. And she's, and because and, we're trying to win, the, but we, a conversation, if you're going to have a good, healthy conversation, when they're talking, you shut your mind down and you listen to what they say. You seek first to understand them. Before you try to be understood, that is what a conversation is. And here's the kick. Conversations always lead to connections. That's the first part of our big idea. Conversations always create connections. Can you say that out loud? Conversations always create connections. I mean, we already understand this. Um, And you think about every relational aspect of your life. You know that conversations always create connections. If you're married... Let's think about your marriage, 
all right? If you want to have a healthy marriage, you're going, it's going to entail a lot of conversations, a lot of conversations. There's going to be some impassioned conversations. Some people call that yelling. I call it impassioned conversating, right? <laughs> but I'm telling you, that we, my wife and I, we've been married 20 years. The first few years of our marriage, was not, it, was, it wasn't that fun, because, again, I, as she's talking, I would be thinking about what I'm going to do and, and what I'm going to say. But that's not it. Conversations always create connections as a pastor. I counsel so many different couples, some who are, have been divorced, some who are going through divorce. And when I talk to couples, what I want to say to them is this. If you would have chosen to talk to your spouse and with your spouse instead of at your spouse, you would still be married. You can always tell if a couple is, is in trouble when, number one, will, will both parties of the couples come in. Many times that doesn't happen. You'll have one person come in and the other person is just absent, vacant. Or if, if both of them do come in, uh, still one of them is usually absent or vacant, right? Because, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's like this, there is no conver- there's not a conversation happening. They're willing to talk to me and, well, you need to tell him that if he would stop doing this and start doing this and, you know, doing all this, right? I'm like, I'm like hold on with your head bobbing. Take a chill. Keep that thing in check, all right? Uh, but but they don't, they're not willing to talk to one another. They're, ta- they're, they're talking at each other. I mean, in, in, let me tell you, conversations create connections. Marriages are in trouble when you stop conversing. Let me tell you, for those, how many of y'all have kids in here? Let me tell you, the key to connecting with your child is conversation. Discipline is important. You got to have that. Drawing boundaries is important. You got to have that. But let me tell you, having a conversation, that will capture the heart of your child. That's what's so difficult when uh, children start becoming teenagers because they don't want to have conversations anymore. Many times they don't want to listen and the parents don't want to talk. They start yelling. And let me tell you, yelling doesn't change a child's heart. A conversation. And sometimes you've got you to talk all the way around Venus and Neptune to be able to connect with your teenager. But that is what will create a connection. For those of you who are in a dating relationship, listen to me. You know that the quality of your relationship is going to be based upon the quantity of your conversations. The, the kiss of death for your relationship, if you're dating, is to bring sex into it. Nonverbal communication. Let me tell you why that is. Because no relationship was ever based upon nonverbal sexual intimacy. What happens is when, when you're dating, you're talking a lot. You're talking, 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 right? But when you introduce nonverbal communication, some Barry White... Right? When you introduce nonverbal communication, the verbal communication goes down, and that's a problem. So, when you're dating, the best thing that you can do is to keep that conversation going and not introduce the nonverbal communication because conversations, that's how you create connections. So, let me ask you a question Why is it that we understand this principle so well? In every relationship except for that who Paul told us to have this with. You see, we can easily have conversations with other Christians. 
We can easily have conversations with people who believe the same way. But why is it so hard for us, and we struggle so much, to have conversations with people who are far from God? To have conversations with people who are not Christian, who are unbelievers, who don't believe the same way you do. As a Christian, we we tend to take the easy wrong instead of the hard right. See, conversations are more difficult. They're messy. Like Chris said, they can be long. You can get upset sometimes. But as Christians, we don't have very many conversations. What we run to is conversion attempts. What we run to is confrontation. Some of us specialize in condemnation. We try to convict people. We set up programs. But what we do, but what we, where we miss out at is that the fact is, is whenever we run towards these things, we miss the chance to chip away at somebody's heart. And what we actually wind up doing is building ice around them. See, conviction builds ice. Confrontation builds ice. Conviction, sorry, I already said that. The point is, it's what we do is we build ice. And what we wind up having is everybody who is close to us, everybody who we are trying to reach out to, just winds up being surrounded with ice. And they are so cold and bitter and hateful. And they're not just cold towards God, they're cold towards you. And they're icy cold towards the church. And then we wonder whenever we invite them, why, why do they not come? Why do they not show up whenever I ask them to come to church with me? And it's because all we've done is built ice around them. So the second part of this verse, um, once we start having conversations, what should these conversations look like? What should be in these conversations? Well, Paul says, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. See, as Christians, we're extremely good at one of these. We're extremely good at one of them. But the one we're not so good is actually the more important. The one we're good is at salt. And whenever he's talking about salt, he's not just saying, you know, throw a little salt on there and make it taste good. See, in the first century, they couldn't go to Best Buy and purchase a refrigerator. They took salt and they would put it around their food and it would preserve. It prevented corruption. But whenever he's talking about salt, he's, he's not necessarily even talking about salt itself. He's talking about something else that prevents corruption, and that's truth. He's wanting us to add an element of truth to our conversations. And this is what we're so good at, and it's not even for bad reasons. Because whenever we look out into the world and we say, you know, oh, man, you know, this world needs a lot of truth. And I don't know much about truth, but I know a little bit. And that little bit that I've applied to my life has helped out immensely. That it's made my life better. It's made my life easier. So I just want to throw the truth out on you. And we have good intentions. But what we wind up is just somebody who is just completely covered in salt. You know, I love eating watermelon. This is so juicy. <laughs> now, I ended up buying this watermelon at Walmart the other day. And because my kids love watermelon because they love Jesus. Um, <laughs> And uh, by the way, I mean, is anybody want a piece of watermelon? Anyone? I'll hook a butter up right now. Anyone? Come on up here. Now, do you mind if I put a little bit of salt on it? Is that okay? All right, cool. A lot of times people like salt on watermelon. By the way, it's fresh. All right, so, all right, very good. What's your name, by the way? Regina. Would you, y'all say hello to Regina. All right, cool. 
So here's the thing about watermelon. It's good to be able to put a little bit of salt on it. But has anybody ever done this when you've got a salt shaker and you went, and it just like poured out, you know? It's like, I know, I ruined a good piece of watermelon, right? I mean, anybody ever like you were doing a salt shaker and it wasn't screwed on and it was like, boom. It's like, oh, come on. By the way, who wants this watermelon? No one, right? Because it's covered with salt. Let, let, let me go back to that verse. It says, let your conversations always be full of grace, but seasoned with salt. Let me te- teach you a little Greek word. It's the Greek word seasoned, and it's the word artuo. Can you, y'all say that? Artuo, all right? It's a cooking term, and it means the skillful use of condiments and spice to make food tasty. Um, I love, this is type of uh, networking we watch in my house, Food Network, all right? So even if you're on a diet, you can watch the Food Network with me. You know what I'm saying? I love me some Bobby Flay. I love, uh, you know, the whole kitchen stadium is kind of cool with Alton Brown. Um, I, I, but I tell you, I like Chopped. And, and so I kind of watch this. You always see, you know, a lot of times they'll do stuff and sometimes there's fire and stuff. But let me tell you what Bobby Flay never does. He never just pours salt on something like that. You're not, you're not going to do that. That will ruin something. But let me tell you, so many times as Christians, that is exactly what we do. Um, we become like, we, it's like we back up a dump truck. Beep, beep, beep. And then we, we pull the lever and we jack up salt on people and we, just, and we just give them with a bunch of truth. And let me tell you, truth is helpful. Truth is, it preserves just like salt does. But what, what Paul says is this. He says, you know what? I think there's a better way. Yeah, we need to have truth in it. And yeah, we need to season with truth, but he says we need to be full of grace, season with salt. Now, let me just say this right here, because this is a big thing. Before you start sending emails and saying, okay, Chris, are you saying the truth isn't important? Are you saying that we need to abandon truth? And I'm saying absolutely not. Um, in fact, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is writing this from where? A jail. Why is he there? Because of truth, because of salt. But Paul is saying, if we're going to be effective in starting conversations with people who know nothing about Jesus, nothing about the church, we do need to have some, some hard conversations sometimes. But that's not where you start. And it's our job not just to dump salt on people. We want to season with salt, or two O. but here's the kicker, we want to be full of grace. So... The big idea, as it continues, um, conversations always create connections, but lead with grace. What is grace? Grace is a little hard to understand. Many of us have said grace. I know a couple people named grace. Whenever we see a dancer who dances beautifully, we say she dances with grace. Um, But what is it? You see, grace is a freely given, undeserved gift. Something that is given to, uh, to you that you didn't deserve, which is partially why it's so confusing. You see, grace is an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp. How can you be big and small at the same time? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Fairness is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting exactly what you don't deserve. Grace is undeserved favor, unmerited, freely given favor. And that is why grace is so confusing. But we never hear this story. We never hear the story of the guy who is a salesperson. 
and he misses his quota three quarters in a row. In case you guys can't do math, that's three-fourths of a year. He misses his quota, and he gets called into a meeting. He's supposed to meet with his boss on Monday morning at 8 a.m., the very first slot on the very first day after the end of the quarter. And he knows what's coming. He knows he's missed his quota. And he gets in there, and the boss sits down, and he looks at him. He says, you know, George, you've missed your quota three quarters in a row. Well, I just think that's awesome. I'm going to give you a raise. Here's a promotion. You're now the vice president of sales. We never hear about the kid who applies to Harvard. And he gets a letter in return. He says, despite your 2.1 GPA and your 200 combined SAT score, we're giving you a full ride. We never hear about the guy who breaks up with Taylor Swift and doesn't have a song written about him. That's just what happens. But let's take it smaller. Okay? Can you imagine what the world would be like if we led with grace? Can you imagine what your family life would be like? How your relationship with your child would be if every conversation you had with them was led with grace? Can you imagine how your wife would, would react to you or your spouse? Can you imagine if you decided that I wasn't just going to love my spouse whenever she's lovable or he's lovable, but I'm going to choose to love them whenever they are unlovable? It would be so incredibly confusing. But they would be drawn to that. I don't know what type of church experience you have. Um, but a lot of us in, in our past, we, we see the church, and we, we might have been in, involved in a church where grace was not a primary source of anything there. We said a lot of grace, but we never really showed it. I grew up with the idea that, you know... Honestly, I didn't believe in a God, but I grew up with the idea that if there was a God, he was mainly concerned with my behavior. He was mainly concerned with if I did the right thing, if I acted the right way, that he was happy with me. But if I did the wrong thing, I was out. See, as churches, we're so worried about salt. We're so worried about the do's and the don'ts. The Jesus said, do this. Jesus said, do that. Oh, Jesus didn't say, look over there. And we miss out because what we wind up doing is we, we feel like, okay, we're out and well, we're just out. But the truth is a church should be a factory of grace. But what it turns into is a salt mine. But why would, if, if the church is so worried about salt, why would Paul tell us to lead with grace? Why would he say you should always lead with grace? It's because... As confusing as grace may be, there is nothing more attractive than grace. You see, Paul's telling us if the church is to inspire the world, if the church is to move the people around us, that we should always have conversations that lead to connections, but not full of salt. We should have conversations full of grace, a little bit of salt. Because ultimately, you know, salt, it melts ice. In conversations, it, it chips away at the ice slowly, the ice built up around somebody's heart. But grace is the ultimate icebreaker. Let's look at this third part. It says, let your conversations always be, what is it? Full of grace and seasoned with salt. Why? So that you may know how to answer everyone. That's the third part of this. I mean, do any, that verse bothers me. Does anybody feel like they could answer anybody, any question anybody had about faith or church or religion or God or the Bible? Because I don't. I mean, half the times up here when you guys text me your questions, I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, I hope they don't ask that one. 
right? Because here's, here, here's the kicker. All of us, we have questions. In fact, if you're here today and you're not a church person, probably the reason why you're not a church or you're a religious person is you still have some questions. And I understand that. And some of you, you think, well, when I get all of my questions answered, then I will become a Christ follower. You need to know you're never going to get all your questions answered. I mean, the Bible says that there's some things you're just going to have to take with faith. Let me tell you, when I graduated Austin P, I decided I'm going to go get my master's in theology. So I went to Dallas Seminary for four years. I was so excited about going to Dallas because here's what I'm thinking. Finally, I could be able to get a lot of the questions answered that I had, right? I'm going to go get an education. So I went to cemetery, I mean seminary, and I, and I went, and I'm thinking, great, I'm going to get a lot of my questions answered. You know what happened? I had more questions. In fact, not only did I have more questions, the questions were a whole lot harder, right? Because I'm like, really? I mean, and, 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 and I'll be honest with you, after a while, it was just kind of frustrating. It was just like, I, I, there's some of this stuff I just don't know. I don't know. There's going to be a lot of time. When I get up to heaven, I, I'm going to I have like my notepad and with Jesus. And I'm like, okay, but how did this happen? Right? I mean, how, and the, I really do believe the most common word in the Bible, once you get up into heaven, when all of us get to heaven, it's going to be going, oh, that's how that works, right? I understand now. Because to be honest with you, we just don't know. We all have questions. I, I don't think Paul in this verse, if you wouldn't mind putting that verse back there, Paul is not saying to have a question, have an answer for every question. He says this, so that you may know how to answer who? Everyone. You see, this isn't about answering everybody's questions. Because I don't think any of us can do that. None of us in here are God. None of us have all the answers. But what Paul is saying is this. We don't have to have the answer to every question. We just have to have the answer to every, everyone. Now, as Christians, if you're a Christ follower, you already have the answer. You already have the answer. One answer to every objection, one answer to every argument, one answer. And here's the cool thing. You already know the answer. And if you're a Christ follower, the answer is this. The answer is your story. Because he, here's the thing. We can talk about the Bible and Jesus and faith and grace until we're blue in the face. And some of you could argue with me until you're blue in the face. I understand that. But let me tell you what you can't argue with me about. This is how God has impacted my life. That I used to be this way, but now I'm this way. And this goes to the rest of our big idea. So bring up the big idea. Conversations always create connections. Lead with grace. Answer with your story. You see, last Sunday I left you out with my story where I had a terrible um, idea of church. Basically, I had a terrible example given to me of what church was. And I left that church bitter. I left that church feeling unwelcomed with no hope. And over time it just grew. It became worse and worse. I became bitter, I became cold, I became very hateful towards Christians and Christianity. And I didn't just settle on myself being an atheist. I literally spent my time trying to make other people atheists. See, my conversion attempt was not to bring people to Christ. At that time, my conversion was, you know, you're almost to Christ. Why don't you come my way? And that's what I literally spent my time doing. And many of my friends I have today are still atheists and they were not atheists whenever I met them. Now, 
As time goes, you know, obviously, and, and anybody can do this, whether you're a Christian, whether you're an outsider, I grew into the party. You know, that's what I wanted. I was the party guy. My house was the party house. And I eventually went into a, literally a six-month drinking binge where every week I would get off work on Friday. And the only thing I worried about all week long was that I was going to get paid and I was going to be able to go buy a case of beer and I was going to sit at my buddy Jason's house and we're going to start drinking about 4 o'clock Friday afternoon, and we're not going to stop until 8 or 9 Sunday morning, okay? And that's what I did every weekend. That's the only thing I concerned myself with. And now in the middle of that, while I was in no shape, any form of a good uh, uh, somebody to look up to, while I was in no way or shape a model for uh, my friend's kids, but Samantha Larson came into my life. Now, we had been friends before, but she really came in and we became more like brother and sister. And what I love about this is I never knew she was a Christian. You see, at this point in time, I was still so hateful towards Christians that I refused to even be friends with them. And she never brought it up. And all the time I spent with her, I know I had to have offended her so many times. With the way I talked about Christians, I know that I offended her directly without even realizing it. But she never told me. And she never let me believe that she was offended. And because she always led with grace with me, she slowly broke the ice away from my heart. And one day she, she had me come over and we're sitting there and she pulls up the laptop and she, she plays a sermon from here. Um, and it was a, a different guy preaching and, um, and I was shocked. I was shocked that she was a Christian because she led with so much grace with me. And I was shocked that she actually had me enthralled in something that was Christian related. And I watched the whole thing with her. And she invited me to come to church with her. And it wasn't even an invite. It wasn't even a question. All she said was, you know, if you want to, you're more than welcome to join me. You see, the last example of church I had was I was not welcome there. But I had somebody in my life that said, I am welcome to join her. Not, I want you to come with me. Not, I feel you need this in your life. It wasn't a conversion attempt. It was a simple, I want you to join me if you want to, and you're welcome to come. And I'm going to be there with you, and I'm going to take those steps with you. I'm not just going to leave you high and dry. And after many times of of me saying I'm going to go, and then instead I would drink and not wake up, I finally went. And sitting right over there, and this is the long story short, on August 14th, 2011, I accepted Christ as my Savior. The single most life-changing experience I've ever had. And that is our answer. You see, I once was a guy who was proud to have his own parking spot at the bar. But now I'm a guy who's proud that whenever I go to that bar, nobody recognizes me. I once was a guy who was so hateful, so bitter, with no purpose, to now I have a purpose of going into ministry. And I love everybody. And you know what the difference was? Jesus was the difference. Jesus, someone who, no matter how much I offended him, no matter how much I said about him, he forgave me and he died for me on that cross 2,000 years ago. And so some of you here today, you, you, ha- you have all these questions and you're, you're wondering, you know, I can, never, I can never believe because, you know, I just, I don't know about the seven days of creation 
Or why do good things happen or bad things happen to good people? And you have all these questions here today. And some of you feel that, you know, I, I can't believe in Christ or I can't become a Christ follower because I'm simply too far gone. Because I, there wasn't very many people much further gone than me. And I'm telling you, you can never be too far and just as much as you can never have all of your questions answered. But I ask you today, because Jesus, just as he stood in front of me and he said, and he was practically screaming at me, I want to have a relationship with you just as you are. Because I love you. He's standing there in front of you today. So Chris is going to pray for us. But I ask you not to, if if you choose that you're you're going to pray this with him, I ask that you not do it out loud. But you do it in your heart. Because ultimately that is where change happens. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, I'd ask you to bow your head, close your eyes, and we'll talk to God together. Dear God, Lord, um, Lord, I know that I've messed up. I know that my my sin is is coming between you and you and me, God. And I pray right now, Lord, um, and just just tell you that I can't do it anymore. I can't be good enough. I can't go. Um, I just I can't act the part anymore. Um, Lord, I. I just, I ask you right now, Jesus Christ, to come into my heart, to come into my life. And Lord, that, uh, I, that I would put my faith and my trust in you. And I still have a lot of questions, Lord, but um, I know some questions um, I'm not going to get answered. That's where faith comes in, God. So Lord, I just, I pray right now, Lord, that you would hear my prayer. Lord, that you would come into my heart that you would come into my life, Lord, that you would be my savior and I would become your child. And Lord, that I would start growing in a relationship with you now, God. Lord, thank you so much for hearing this prayer. Thank you so much, Lord, for drawing me. And Lord, I pray that today would be the beginning of a beautiful friendship and relationship between me and you, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer the first time, and or maybe this is the, maybe you prayed it a lot, but it was like something happened. I would encourage you that afterwards, you can do two things. Number one, you can come and be able to talk to Dave and I. We would have no greater joy than to just be able to talk with you and answer any questions you might have, but that we would maybe be the answer for you because... The cool thing about Dave, when Dave was up here sharing, you know, sometimes you ever wonder if anybody gets it. I'm up here tearing up because this is a guy who's he, he was going one way and God turned him around and he's going in a totally different direction. Just to let you know, he was saying that he was going on drinking binges and it really wasn't somebody worthy to follow. This past year, he has been my son's small group leader. And in fact, as soon as we get finished talking, he is going to Mobile, Alabama with our students and he's going to hang out with them. So, uh, I think you need to be praying for Dave more than the kids. You don't have to be perfect and you don't have to have it all together and you don't have to have all your questions answered, 
The only thing you have to do is come to Jesus just the way you are. And he will accept you. He will love you. He'll point you in a different direction. I am proof of that. And Dave is proof of that.